This season of The Ones Who Succeed is brought to you by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 20,000 classes in business, marketing, technology, design, and more. You can take classes in social media marketing, video editing, entrepreneurship, you name it, they've got it. So whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set, start a side hustle, or just explore a new passion, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. So join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today because Skillshare is offering the ones who succeed listeners two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes all for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash succeed. Again, that's Skillshare.com slash succeed. That link is how they know we, the ones who succeed, send you to start your first two months now. That link is also in the description of this podcast and a special thanks to Skillshare for sponsoring the show. taken a ton of work to get to this point, but damn does it feel good to be here. Ladies and gentlemen, this is The Ones Who Succeed. I'm your 15-year-old host, Campbell Barron. So this is the first episode of my weekly audio podcast. And on each episode of the show, I have conversations with successful entrepreneurs of all kinds. Now, some of you may be thinking, seriously, another podcast interview show? Come on, I'm out of here. And if you're thinking that, please don't go. Listen to what I have to say, because trust me, this show is unique. And the most obvious reason the show is unique has to do with my age. I'm 15, and the dynamic between a 15-year-old talking to, well, let's say a 30-year-old, is very different from the dynamic between two adults talking. I've spent the last eight months working on this show, and I'm a one-man band. I got the sponsor myself, I got the guests myself, and trust me, well-known entrepreneurs are not easy to meet with. I've interviewed the guests myself, and I've edited the audio and video episodes all by myself. And that's how I got here. Took a lot of work, hustle, persistence, but it was definitely worth it. And that's why this podcast is unique. Not to mention the fact that we also have a super interesting video component to each episode. Essentially, a shorter interview with cool graphics and drone shots. That's all on our YouTube channel. The link is in the podcast description. But enough about me and my show. On this inaugural episode of The Ones Who Succeed, I have a conversation with the one and only Michael Dubin. So already after saying his name, a lot of people might know who I'm talking about. And if you do know who I'm talking about, then that's dope, and we're on the same page. However, if you don't know who I'm referring to, then maybe you've heard of the company Dollar Shave Club before. And if you're one of the few people who haven't heard of Michael nor Dollar Shave Club, no worries, keep on listening, let me explain. Dollar Shave Club is a monthly subscription service that ships men's razors and accessories all over the globe for an affordable price. Michael Dubin is the founder and CEO of the company. But not long ago, Dollar Shave Club was acquired by Unilever for $1 billion. So on the first episode of the show, I talked to Michael about his entrepreneurial journey and some of the things he learned along the way. My name is Campbell Barron, and I'm a 15-year-old entrepreneur and content creator from Toronto, Canada. And you are listening to my podcast, 
The Ones Who Succeed, where each week I meet with inspiring entrepreneurs and talk to them about their journey to success. You have to be relentless in uh, in your commitment to solving the problem, almost to an addictive level. It's like nothing's going to stand in your way because you're addicted to this notion of solving the problem and bringing the thing to life. Hear their stories, experiences, and firsthand what it took to succeed in their field. Why am I doing this? Because I want to learn from the ones who succeed. And you can too. Okay. So for many entrepreneurs, a $1 billion exit is the holy grail. However, this isn't a typical story. I met with Michael in early November of 2018 in a conference room at the Dollar Shave Club headquarters near Santa Monica, California. And my conversation with Michael starts at the very beginning. Michael grew up just outside of Philadelphia, in a suburb called Ballock Inwood. But at age 13, Michael's family moved to Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And what were you like as a kid? Let's see. As a as a young kid, I I was very um, I had a lot of hobbies, or at least I thought I had a lot of hobbies. Um, I it was hard to hold my attention mm-hmm. uh, because I I was into a little bit of everything. Um, and you know, I like to read. I like to watch movies. Um, I loved sports. I played soccer. I played baseball. I played basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, had friends in the neighborhood. I'd say it was a pretty normal childhood. Yeah. Um, what about school? Uh, so, you know, went to, um, went to public school most of my life, um, went to, went to a private school, uh, in ninth grade, repeated ninth grade, went to a private school then from nine to 12, um, and then went to Emory university in Atlanta, Georgia. Did you enjoy it? Were you a good student? Uh, I was not a great student. Um, you know, like I said, it was kind of hard to keep my attention. I was kind of into whatever it is that I was into. And Mm -hmm. usually that was sports or, uh, you know, theater or, uh, the extracurriculars. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I would say I was not the world's most amazing student. So let's fast forward a little bit. Like, when did you realize, when did you realize you wanted to be an entrepreneur or you were interested in that? Well, I think I always, I think when I was younger, I always was, um, interested in, in selling things. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember when, when I was young, my sister and I, and some of the kids in the neighborhood, uh, we, we would, grab some of my grandmother's stuff Mm -hmm. off the shelf, some books and some other odds and ends, and we would bring them out to the street and put them on a table and just kind of sell them to people driving by. And that was super fun. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I I don't know why I found it particularly fun, but there was just something uh, inherently exciting and, and, and fun about, about taking things that other people, you know, found value in and selling it to them. And Mm so that was, that was a fun experience. So I think from a very early age, I was, I was into that idea. And, and then as I got older into college, um, you know, I started having ideas for businesses Mm -hmm. Uh, and especially when the internet came, uh, came to be, uh, I think one of my first uh, ideas was for sort of a a chain of internet kiosks, uh, which now seems like ancient history because that idea sort of came and went and they're still around in a few places. But, um, you know, I remember had, uh, this, this idea for a franchise of, of online, you know, internet kiosks called online everywhere or Olay. That was the first 
first one, and then I had you know an idea for a service that would bring you uh, that would that would you could sign up for a wake up call in the morning. And this was mm-hmm. you know a problem that somebody had oversleeping for a class mm-hmm. in college, which is which was me. Uh, and and you know wakeupcall.com and there was an app that you could open and you know subs- you know get somebody to call you to wake you up uh, for whatever reason. So there was wakeupcall.com, um, and then. Gosh, there were you know just a bunch of other ideas, and I just like this idea of 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 starting things that people would use or would buy. So I think probably from a young age I was into it, and then really in college I I, I thought to myself, you know, I I this is in my this is in my nature, this is in my character, this is something that I'd like to do someday. Why do you why do you think you were into that? Like with most, it seems like you were just kind of born entrepreneurial. Um, but like, were your parents entrepreneurial? Were there some influence outside that kind of, I think so. I I think, um, actually there, now that I'm thinking about it, that reminds me of another idea that I had. Um, I remember when I was a very young child, my parents, uh, we were talking about car insurance in the Mm -hmm. car when I was younger and there was a, um, there was you know, problem of the uninsured motorist. And, and, you know, that's, that's a problem, uh, in, in society, uninsured motorists. And so I thought, well, what, what could we do? Maybe some, we could do something where, uh, you couldn't start the car unless you had insurance. So your key would be coded with something. And okay. that was my very, very first idea. And I was mm-hmm. very, very young and my parents were like, wow, that's a really good idea. Um, but my, 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 I do think I get it from my parents. My father was an attorney, um, is an attorney still, uh, and and always ran a small practice. So in that way, he was entrepreneurial. Yeah. Never worked for a big firm. My mother was a teacher for a very long time, and then she became a realtor, and she ran mm-hmm. her own yeah. sort of real estate practice. Um, so yeah, I think that entrepreneurial spirit runs in my family. So it seems like just listening, Dollar Shave Club wasn't the first business you started. It wasn't the first business I started. It wasn't the first business idea that I had. The first business that I really tried to start in earnest mm-hmm. was probably around 2006 when I was working at Sports Illustrated. So at night I was working on, um, when I was working on uh, this idea, uh, a social network for travelers. Okay. Which is the idea of connecting people to each other while they were traveling mm-hmm. uh, and also to get travel advice from people that had been to those destinations before. Yeah. So... And you, and you, I'm guess you started. Uh, you started. Did you you executed on some of your other ideas before you built Dollar Shave Club? Uh, I the only one that I really brought to life was that one, okay. uh, the Travel Social Network, mm-hmm. and it didn't really go very far. So when when you say it didn't really go really far, like entrepreneurship now seems like everyone's an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. It's definitely more and more common. Yeah, I think okay. when they an entrepreneur and I'm not. Some people are like this. Some people don't. When their first business fails, they're like, all right. That's it. I'm done. Yeah. What made you like, why were you like, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's interesting to me that you kind of just brushed it off and moved on. Yeah. I think, I think entrepreneurs are wired a certain way in Mm -hmm. that, um, First, if they have a great idea, they can't really be told it's not a good idea. And in some way, and that can be actually harmful, but it also can be helpful um, as you need to persevere through a lot of challenges and a lot of and a lot of naysayers, people that will tell you, don't bother, don't waste your time, it's a bad idea, which incidentally, many people said about Dollar Shave Club. Yeah. So, so I think that entrepreneurs are sort of wired with that sort of deafness. Um, and, and then I, I think also... You're, you're just, you, you sort of become this, um, if, if you're wired as an entrepreneur, 
you're going to come up with another idea. That's just how your brain works. Yeah. You're going to find opportunities, holes in the marketplaces, problems to solve. And you, you'll just kind of, that keeps happening throughout your entire life. I, mm-hmm. I mean, that, even though I'm the CEO of Dollar Shave Club now, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I always have, I'm always having ideas for great new companies or what I think are great new companies. Yes. So that's interesting because if you, so you started this kind of tourism social network, right? Before Dollar Shave Club. Mm -hmm. And I I presumably people said it's not going to succeed or it's going to fail. And I guess they were right. Mm -hmm. But with Dollar Shave Club, Mm -hmm. people said that it's not going to succeed and it's, and it's going to fail. Right. And they were really wrong. So how do you know when to quit? How do you know when a bad idea is a bad idea? It's a great question, and I, I, I get this question a lot. I think it's, um, I guess it comes down to qualifying why your idea isn't working. Mm-hmm. Is, it work, is it not working because there really is no consumer need for it? Or is it not working because it's too hard for the consumer to really understand what it is that you're selling, um, which can be the case with a lot of service style businesses or or apps. Even it's like, what's the usefulness for this, you know, product, so to speak? Um, is it not working because you just kind of haven't gotten the word out yet, and it is a great product, and there is a product market fit? Uh, there are a lot of reasons why something might not be working. I think. Um, is not working because you know you don't have the right talent. I think it's important kind of always to look at why it's not working mm-hmm. and and dissect that and dissect that as deeply as you possibly can uh, because the answer of whether you should keep going um, or if you should put it down for a little bit and then wait um, is always in the kind of why it's not working. There's, there's a lot of ideas that didn't work the first time around, um, in society. And then 15 years later, people try them again Mm -hmm. and then they work because the market had time to catch up. And sometimes an idea is just too early. That's, that's, that can be a, a reason why it's not working. You're just too early to market. You're ahead of the market. So I think that you have to be really, um, you know, rigorous in your analysis of why it's not working and then decide whether or not it's worth stopping or continuing. Coming up, how Michael pushed past his previous failures and started what we all know today as dollarshaveclub.com. This is The Ones Who Succeed. I'm Campbell Barron. We'll be right back after a brief word from our sponsor. This season of The Ones Who Succeed is brought to you by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with over 20,000 classes in business, marketing, technology, design, and more. You can take classes in social media marketing, video editing, entrepreneurship, you name it, they've got it. So whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set, start a side hustle, or just explore a new passion, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. So join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today because Skillshare is offering the first 250 people who click the link in the description two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes all for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com succeed. Again, that's Skillshare.com succeed to start your first two months now. And a special thanks to Skillshare for sponsoring this season. You're listening to The Ones Who Succeed. I'm Campbell Barron. Welcome back to the program. 
So before Dollar Shave Club, Michael had entrepreneurial ambitions. However, nothing really stuck. We did learn that prior to founding Dollar Shave Club, Michael started a tourism social network, and he went for it. But it was a swing and a miss. However, that didn't stop Michael from seeking new opportunities. And eventually, out of the frustration that razors were complicated and hard to obtain, Michael saw a gap in the market. I mean, I'd always sort of bristled at the price of razors and, and the shopping experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would milk the same old razor over and over again because it was, um, you know, easier to do that than to go out of my way and spend 20 minutes to get these razors. And, um, you know, that was kind of when I was living in New York, where you had to walk by 100 drugstores on your way home from, mm-hmm. from the office. Uh, and then I, 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 you know, I had the good luck to bump into a friend um, whose whose father had a warehouse full of razors, um, and that gave me the opportunity to sort of test that concept. That was a few years later. And Michael did test the concept and launched the monthly subscription service in 2011. But before we get to that, one thing that you should know about Michael is this. I studied improv and sketch comedy at night um, for eight years while I was living in New York doing a lot of other things, including having a full-time job and mm-hmm. and sort of uh, starting this business on the side. But presumably, I mean, not presumably, it did come in handy later on. Like Dollar Shave Definitely. Club launched with that viral video explaining mm-hmm. what it is. Yep. I'm Mike, founder of DollarShaveClub.com. What is DollarShaveClub.com? Well, for a dollar a month, we send high-quality razors right to your door. Are the blades any good? No. Our blades are f-ing great. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's the video's there to see and it's, um, you know, it, it put us on the map. And do you think your razor needs a vibrating handle, a flashlight, a back scratcher, and 10 blades? Your handsome ass grandfather had one blade and polio. We're not just selling razors, we're also making new jobs. Alejandra, what were you doing last month? Not working. What are you doing now? Working. I'm no Vanderbilt, but this train makes hay. You know, I wrote that video because I had sketch writing training, and uh, I asked a woman that uh, was also a friend of mine who I had, who I had studied with at uh, in New York to direct it. Um, we shot it over the course. I wrote it over the course of a month. We shot it over the course of one day, um, and you know, we edited it and we launched it in March of 2012. And um, I don't think any of us were expecting it to go viral, but I think that what made it go viral was the combination of a few different things. One was the content was good. Number two was it was actually tied to a business that actually solved the real problem for guys, which Mm -hmm. is that, you know, razors were overpriced and the shopping experience was pretty frustrating. So, so it wasn't just like a funny video. There was a lot of funny videos on the internet. It was the fact that it was a funny video coupled with this, um, with it, with this business concept. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what sort of propelled it forward. And then, so you launched with this video, you created it and how did you, it blew up. It, you got um, a bunch of orders or people, a bunch of signups yep. after it aired. How did you fund this? How did that, did you, was it self-funded? Did you raise money from friends Raise a little bit of, well, I self-funded it up until probably January of 2012. And then uh, we closed our first round of seed funding, which is $100,000 from an investor in Santa Monica. Um, and yeah, and that was... And then, but when that was before the video went live, that was all before the video went live. And then it went live. And then it went live. Well, we had also, we'd also then, sorry, we raised a hundred thousand in January, and then we raised like I think a million dollars right at the beginning of March. Mm-hmm. And then after that video launched, a few months later, we raised about ten million dollars. Yeah. So then, then it launched, mm-hmm. 
And then what happened? And then we sold out of inventory. The site crashed. It was sort of a scramble. You know, I think I, I think I blacked out for six months while, while we just sort of scrambled to keep everything going and hire a bunch of people and scale up and, um, and then go out and raise more venture capital. Did the, did the site crash scare you or did it excite you? Like that sound, that's like the, probably one of the best problems you can have. Um, it, it is. I mean, I thought that it was going to be, I thought that it was going to be, I don't think any of us were expecting the site to crash or for us to get as much traffic as we did. So clearly we were unprepared for that. Um, but yeah, I think that's a scary moment because you're, you know, you're in this one moment, you're, you have this massive success, this unexpected success. And then you think, well, I might not be able to cash in on it. I guess the impression people who haven't met you based on your commercials for Dollar Shave Club, you're kind of seen as this, you know, funny guy. Um, you're kind of the face of the company in that sense. Are you like that in the boardroom? Are you serious? Like, are you this funny guy all around? I think if you asked most, well, you, well, you'd have to ask other people what their perception of me is. I think that most people's reaction are, most people's reaction uh, is something like, you know, you're a little bit more serious and intense than I would have thought from watching mm -hmm. those videos. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably fair. Does that throw people off? Uh, you'd have to ask them. <laughs> Um, so I think like we mentioned in 2018, entrepreneurship is becoming very successful, very popular. Mm -hmm. Um, and it seems like, especially with the internet, successful entrepreneurs make a lot of money and they also get very well known. Mm -hmm. Was that ever a motivator to you to be this kind of entrepreneurial figure like you are now? Did you care? Did you like it? What, what was your opinion? On I don't that? think so. I think... I don't think so. I, I think it's important to have idols and, you know, and people that you look up to in, in a field that you want to go into. But I never did this, you know, for fame or glory or any of that. I, mm -hmm. I, I wanted to start businesses because you have to make a living and, you know, I like to create and I like to build and, and, uh, I always wanted to find a way to do that and build my own tribe and culture. And, uh, that's something that I've been very fortunate to do at DSC, but no, I never looked at, uh, you know, successful entrepreneurs really and said, uh, wow, I want to be like that someday. I think mm -hmm. more than anything, I think, you know, if anything, I, I did read entrepreneur magazine when I was in high school. Um, but I think the most exciting part of that was the back of the magazine where you used to have all these ads and I don't think they still have this, but they used to, they had all these ads for franchises that you could, yeah, they, they, could, they do. It, yeah. Okay. So, so like, you know, looking for franchises for uh, this ice cream mm -hmm. franchise or this fast food chain. And I thought to myself, wow, with just a couple bucks, like I could open up one of those. I mean, just the thought of like building something that was my own, uh, was really the appeal more than anything else. But yeah, I think we've, we glamorize and idolize, you know, founders and CEOs that start their own things. And I think that that's, I think that that's fine. Um, I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of people that go into making those entrepreneurs and CEOs really successful. Uh, you know, it's, it's, there's an old quotation, uh, that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And that's, that's, um, that's, that's really true. Like any, any entrepreneur that they put on those covers, including myself got there because they have an enormous and a talented supporting cast. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, let's just talk a little bit about the acquisition. I'm not going to get too deep. I know there's probably stuff you can't talk about, but, um, so you're building this company. You have a bunch, you probably you have a bunch of users, and then 
how did that happen? How did did Unilever did you approach Unilever? Did Unilever approach you? How did that? We met at a dinner. I met one of their senior executives at a dinner. We started talking about the industry and where we wanted to go and how that complemented one of their own sort of strategic visions to reduce their uh, strategic imperatives to reduce their you know reliance on traditional retail and um, yeah. And so, eventually, you sold in 2016 mm-hmm. for a billion dollars. Yeah. So. Now that's obviously that's a big number, mm-hmm. and I'm sure your early investors were pleased. But what what was the big? Was it more? Was the money? I'm sure that had an influence. But was it the partnership that excited you? Was it the money? Like what motivated you in that sense? Really, the partnership more than anything else, um, because you know it's it's. Uh, it, it should never be about the money. It should always mm-hmm. be about what you want to do and the mission. Um, and <clears throat> there was an opportunity for us to partner and and find some synergies in what they were doing and what we were doing. And I and I believed, as I still do, that there there was a lot of opportunity uh, for us to go f- further and f- go further faster with them uh, as as a partner. So as we're getting closer towards the end of my interview with Michael. I decided to ask him one of my favorite questions and something that I honestly think about quite often. Oh yeah, and as you listen to future episodes of the podcast, you'll hear this question come up in almost every episode. So I would encourage you to really listen as each answer is very unique. Anyway, with that being said, the question I asked Michael is this. Are people born entrepreneurs or can anyone become one? I think everybody everybody probably has their own definition of entrepreneurship and mm-hmm. what does it mean to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, if you if you asked me what my definition is of entrepreneur, uh, I, I would say it's probably the ability to. Um, well, hmm, is this because everybody has business ideas, right? So it's yeah. not; it's more than just having the actual business idea. Execution. Is you cool. have to be able to, with limited resources, uh, sort of find a way to get the critical work done and bring the project along. You don't mm-hmm. have to bring it all the way home, but you have to be able to, you know, kind of solve critical problems and weave it all together uh, to get an early beta version live somehow. Yeah. And um, so I think that's probably the, the critical skill is can you, can you, are you a really good problem solver? Whereas some people, you know, you'd ask them to go figure out one of the early things that we had to do in DSC was figure out how we're going to ship. Right. And I don't have a logistics and shipping background. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what did I do? I said, okay, well that's a problem that can be solved. I'll just start at the post office. Right. And I'll start by Googling, how do I ship my products? And sure enough, there were a list of services there that we're offering. And, and, you know, you test each one and you negotiate the best rates and you go on and on. But you know, you say to yourself, how am I going to weave all this together and solve the critical problems? And to me, that's what an entrepreneur does really well. Um, I think you have to have certain traits to be able, certain character traits endemically that can't be taught to to be able to be a successful entre- entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I think one of them, one of those traits is you have to be relentless in uh, in your commitment to solving the problem, almost to an addictive level. It's like nothing's going to stand in your way because you're addicted to this notion of solving the problem and bringing the thing to life. Um, and then I think another one is seeing, you have to see um, how you can uniquely weave together 
A plus B to equal D, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's something that not all people have. So like you mentioned earlier on, you have tons of ideas. You seem like the guy who has tons of ideas. Where do you, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Um, well, in 10 years, I'll be 50. And I can't say for sure. I'd like to say that um, I've been able to maintain a successful business track record, whether that's here or somewhere else. Uh, probably have a family mm-hmm. um, and uh, be able to give back in, in in measurable ways because I think that anybody that's successful, noblesse oblige, they 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 need to uh, they need to give back. All right, well, Michael, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Thanks for coming out. Appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to my conversation with Michael Dubin, the founder and CEO of Dollar Shave Club. Thank you very much for making it to the end of the first episode of the podcast. But before you go, if you like what you heard, it would be super amazing if you could rate our show on Apple Podcasts and leave a positive review. It helps more viewers like you find the show. Also, another way to support the show is to tell a friend or family member whom you think might be interested. If you do either of those things, we at The Ones Who Succeed greatly appreciate it. Thank you very much. Also, I would really encourage you to check out the shorter form YouTube video slash interview with Michael. You can see what I look like. You can see what he looks like. You can see what the dope Dollar Shave Club office looks like. It's pretty much a guaranteed good time. That link is in the description of this podcast, or you can search for The Ones Who Succeed on YouTube. And to find our channel directly, enter the URL www.bit.ly slash succeed YouTube. And there's no capitals in that URL, by the way. Also, our podcast does not live under a rock. We have Insta, we have Twitter, and you should follow us on both. We are at the ones who succeed on Instagram and at ones who succeed on Twitter. We also have a website. This will also be a big hub for all content we produce. So swing by there once in a while. You can find our site at www.theonesucceed.com. Again, that's www.theonesucceed.com. This show is produced by me and my mom, Lily Yerkstevich. Our theme music is by Alta, and our ad music is by Anders Nelson. Additional music by Holly Marr. Also, the tune you are hearing right now was from the original Dollar Shave Club commercial. It's by Kennedy. Additional audio from youtube.com slash Dollar Shave Club. Thanks again to Skillshare for sponsoring the show. Our executive producer is Robert Barron. Special thanks to Lily Yerkstevich, Robert Barron, Sophia Yerkstevich, Jackie Burns, Steph Matisse, Christina Kovacs, Christina Levesky-Cole, and of course, Michael Dubin. I'm Campbell Barron. Thank you for making it to the end. Here are some scenes from next week's episode of The Ones Who Succeed. On the second episode of The Ones Who Succeed, I chat with Elizabeth Cutler, the co-founder of SoulCycle. When you're desperate, there's no decision not to. It's like the only thing that you're going to do. It, it's like a laser focus. That's next week on The Ones Who Succeed. Until then, take it easy. Yeah.